0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. Our guest today is the very fascinating J.D. Messenger. He began his adult life as a fireman, then went on to be one of 37 distinguished graduates from the Univer- United States Naval Academy at Annapolis. And he served as a nuclear submarine officer. After the Navy, he became an expert in all aspects of oil and energy. A former CEO of Ernst & Young Consulting, he was also the Exxon executive who helped supervise the Valdez oil spill cleanup. JD has been interviewed on dozens of television shows as a featured expert on innovation, crisis response, and the future of energy. He has advised Fortune 100 clients, governments, and members of parliament on five continents and has written highly regarded position papers that have been distributed to presidential candidates, MPs, prime ministers, and even royal family members. In later life, he became a Knight of Honor in the Order of St. John. He has been married to Marianne for 30 years and is blessed with three children. He's conversational in Mandarin Chinese, enjoys all things adventurous, such as fencing, boxing, hiking, and scuba diving, So now let's all take a deep breath because we're going to dive into some of the deepest questions mankind has asked throughout human history. J.D.'s insights were recorded in his new book, 11 Days in May, that we are going to explore today. Welcome, J.D. Messenger.
1: Well, thank you, Miriam. It's an honor to be here. This guy sounds fascinating. I look forward to listening to him.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe this interview is going to be like your channeled book, and it's going to reveal itself as we go along.
1: Absolutely. There's no doubt about it.
0: J.D., you started as the kind of aspirational material man who reached the absolute pinnacle of success uh, that most people would actually give their IT for. Why yeah. did you turn your back on it?
1: Um, Well, um, the short answer was uh, it wasn't by conscious choice. I had a terrible injury in 1985 when I was a submarine officer where my neck got smashed and I crushed my vertebrae. And then over a period of 15 years, You know, it healed, and I left the Navy, joined Exxon, left Exxon, joined Ernst & Young. And so I was in Singapore, and I was the CEO of Singapore and Southeast Asia for management consulting. In In 1999, my neck started hurting in the summer, and so I took a Motrin. And then it hurt more, and I took another Motrin. And by the time January 2000 came around, I was popping almost an entire bottle of Motrin, Every three or four days, I was in so much pain in denial, ignoring it. You know, I was too busy to go to the doctor. I was, um, you know, an important person doing big projects and leading the ExxonMobil merger and things like that, you know. And um, one morning I woke up and I put my arms in the air to stretch and, you know, you kind of tilt and pop your neck over. And when I did that, the last thing that was holding my neck together, which was some pieces of something, um, let go. And it twisted my spinal column and, and, and um, you know, vertebrae around. And uh, it felt like a thousand volts, you know, through every cell and every nerve or someone splitting me in half with an ax and, um, I of course screamed and I, all of a sudden I left my body and, and I'm, you know, a part of me was observing this thing that collapsed like a rag doll and fell on the, um, bureau and then flopped onto the floor, just laying there. And, you know, I was, I was wondering like, you know, I don't feel any pain. I don't feel any emotion. I don't have a body. I'm, Whatever is observing is not in that thing laying on the floor. And I went through a tunnel, and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's It looks just like in that movie In Contact. Um, I like to think of it and describe it like you're going through the exhaust hose on your um, dryer. You know, it's like this corrugated, ribbed, tube that turns and twists Mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful blue and it's got you know it's like riding through the slide at the water park and it's got beautiful lights shooting and flying everywhere and it was beautiful and um i can tell you what happened afterwards but i'll I'll pause but that was my wake-up call and um nothing was the same afterwards
0: Well, it's interesting. You had an earlier wake-up call when you were uh, a young, macho, naval cadet. Um, You had a near-death experience then, and and I think it planted some seeds. I'm curious as to why they didn't take uh, root at that time.
1: (laughs) You know, you're referring to the fact, uh, and you're the first person who has asked me this question and connected the dots. I've actually almost died four times. Um, The first time was when I was uh, sailing at the Naval Academy and my um, short story is the watch my father had given me before he died, which was the only thing he'd ever given me, fell off my or broke off my wrist and I dove into the freezing water and I went down, down, down trying to get it and I couldn't couldn't get it. And when I turned to come back up, I couldn't come up. You know, it's freezing cold water. I got sweats. Um, everything's around me. And and I basically, um, you know, went through that tunnel again
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um, then find myself on the top of the boat. And here's a fascinating story that will connect the dots because it's 27 years later. It's three years it's 27 years after the near death and drowning. It's three years after my breaking my neck and uh, in Singapore, and I go to a holistic fair in Singapore reluctantly that my friend invites me to, and she says, "Oh, you got to go get your aura read." Well, you know, I don't know what an aura is. I'm thinking. You know- <laughs> hurt know, (laughs) and and I'm like you know now I've never been to a tarot reader or a psychic or a palm reader I'm not going to do that and she pushes 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 so I do it and this man was the first man to tell me something which is the long answer to the question that you asked um, what took so long to take root and I'll answer that but this man really hammered it right between my eyes he, he starts reading my aura and he goes, um, About 20, you know, uh, 5, 27 years ago, um, you nearly drowned. And I'm like, Whoa. And he said, um, It had something to do with your father. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> and then he says, You have to stop denying how you were saved. And I'm thinking, What? and i said like you know what do you mean how i'm saved and i'm i'm starting to relive the experience one of those defining moments that dr phil talks about and he says you were saved by archangel michael well uh-huh. i i can't believe that but i will tell you miriam that over the next um 10 years even you know recently it still happens all the time i think twice this year total strangers come up to me in the most odd situations and describe how I've been saved by Archangel Michael and um, over and over and over again. And, you know, when Eric was the man's name in in 2003, March or April 2003, three years after my wake-up call, he was the first one to say that. And then people I don't even know are yelling at me in the streets. And I'm in denial. I am a left-brain you know, nuclear engineer, math major. I got 12 years of meta—you know—of physics and metallurgy, biology, chemistry, reactor, kinetics, underwater acoustics, you know, blah, blah, blah. I got so much left brain stuff in my head, I walk with a port list. <laughs> and so I'm asleep. I'm, I'm stuck in the matrix. And I believe that, you know, God, source, the creator, whatever you want to call it, you know, whacked me and said, "Okay, you know, it's time you're done playing in the world of form. You've got to take off your mask. And there's a story about my son I'd like to tell that really hammers his home.
0: No, It's a lovely story. Yes.
1: Well, there's two stories that are both over one in a billion coincidences. Um, One of them is in the book. One of them is not in the book. And you're going to want to hear that when it's about Brian Weiss. But You know, after um, in in January 2000, after I break my neck and I go through the tunnel, you know, I don't I don't know that I've gone through the tunnel. I don't remember the tunnel. I'm, I'm laying on the floor unconscious physically. And I go through surgery. They take bone out of my hip to put my neck together. They say in Singapore that we're not putting anything in his body that wasn't there when he was born. That's what they tell my wife. No, no cadaver bone, no screws and plates. You know, this we're going to use, you know, chi energy. We do everything, you know, holistically and, you know, some Western, some Eastern kind of stuff. So they take bone out of my hip, put my neck together. They they have to move my trachea out of the way. You know, I've got tubes sticking in me everywhere. I look like a schooner, you know, with all this rigging. <laughs> and, um, so 10 days. Well, I stabilized for five days. Surgery, 12 days morphine. You know, like three weeks later, I'm at home in a makeshift hospital room, upstairs in a room, door closed. I can't walk. I can't really talk. My shoulder, my neck, everything's in braces. I have no feeling down my arms. There's numb because the nerves were crushed. I can't feel my neck or face, which makes shaving a bit tricky. (laughs) And uh, I'm depressed. You know, I'm, I'm really depressed. I mean, I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be doing a merger or negotiating contract. You know, I'm a AAA battery, and all I can do is stare at the s- swirls in the plaster in the ceiling and smell the flowers. And I basically say a silent prayer to God in great anger. Why did you do this to me? And in less than uh, two or three minutes, the door handle jiggles, and my three-year-old son comes in. His name is Grant. And he goes, Daddy, you work too hard. And I'm kind of like, huh? You know? (laughs) He closes the door and he leaves. And the next day I I do it again. I shout this silent prayer. What do you want me to do? And jiggle, jiggle in a couple of minutes. And Grant walks in and he bouncing around. And he goes, Daddy, you need to play. I'm like, whoa. And so the, the left brain nuclear engineer math major calculates the probability. I'm like, You know, I'll skip the numbers and the formulas, but it was one in a thousand times one in a thousand, you know, one in a thousand that he did it once answering a prayer. He doesn't hear coming in any random three minutes, having an answer that makes sense. Um, And so twice in a row is one in a million. And I'm like, this is interesting. Is is Grant reading my mind? Well, if if he's reading my mind, how could he give me an answer? So now I'm experimenting and I do it again. And I go, you know, I work too hard. I need to play. What kind of answer is that? Can you give me a a better answer? And jiggle, jiggle. Grant comes in. And this time he's bouncing on his toes and he's singing and bopping around the room. And he's going, remember, remember. Oh, my God. Now, how profound. Now, I got to tell you, that made no sense to me at the time. But six years later... I'm down the rabbit hole, you know, I've taken the wrong pill, you know, I've, I'm detaching the, the hoses, I've discovered that my, you know, who I am is not what I do, that life isn't a destination stop at station 401k, that money doesn't make me happy, and I'm I'm experiencing all kinds of um, kinesthetic, um, precognitive, I mean, you're watching my hand, right, you name it, it's happening to me. And what I'm remembering is past lives. I'm remembering knowledge. I'm remembering who I am and why I'm here. And I just laugh now, you know, with Grant saying this remember, remember. I mean, oh my God, what a wonderful thing.
0: (laughs) Now, what was it that opened the door for you to go down that path. I mean, um I have been hearing from so many really august people, people in august positions like uh, a couple of weeks ago Evan Alexander, a neurosurgeon who had a near-death experience and then embarked on the spiritual uh quest. You you embarked on this spiritual quest, but um what turned that switch that said, okay, it's it's not only all right for me to live life the way I want to, the way that will serve me. It's something that I am prepared to do, and I'm going to do it.
1: Yeah, I have to say, I was not prepared. I did not want to go on this journey. I wanted to just go back of my normal life. I wanted to just keep working and make money and play in the sandbox. Um, But I couldn't uh, because so many things happened. I I always get choked up about this. Um, So many things happened that just scared the hell out of me. And I thought I was going crazy. I mean, I saw an angel, a spirit whatever you want, just float down in front of me, this most beautiful being that was like androgynous, um, male, female, sort of a very physical, masculine, strong, muscular-looking body with sort of feminine-looking face with beautiful black flowing hair and olive-colored skin, wearing like this green kind of robe and just floated right down from the ceiling, and stood in front of me. And I gotta tell you, I thought I was going crazy. And I'm, I'm, this was not my imagination and I was not going crazy, but I'm like, hello. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can do for you. <laughs> and um, then I had one day I'm walking down the street in Singapore, which on Orchard Road, which is the busiest road. There's 17,000 people per square mile in Singapore there's seven there's something like a hundred people per square mile in america people i'm walking on the bottom of my feet people are using the top (laughs) and this guy starts shouting you're not doing what you're supposed to do you're not doing what and i turn around he's like 20 feet away and i'm like who is this guy shouting at damn he's pointing at me and he's an indian he's got you know white garbs on and a, a white turban and He's pointing his finger, shouting at me, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, I walk up to him and I'm like, are you talking to me? And he goes, you were born on a Tuesday, which I was. And your heart's breaking. You feel like you're split in half, which I was. And I'm like, go away, buddy. Here, you want some money? Take some money. Go buy some food. No, 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 no. (laughs) And he's like, I've never seen so much energy around a person. And he just starts telling me stuff about me. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then I have visions. I see things like one day I saw a funeral and, you know, I, I won't describe it. It was a Chinese funeral with the the dragons and the and the white and the hearse with a glass, you know, casket on it. If you're familiar with an Asian kind of funeral, and they're marching through the street. Well, you know, it's about three or four days later, I come out of my office and I make a left turn and a right turn and I'm going to lunch. And, and there it is exactly the way I saw it. And I could go on and on. I saw the financial system on my company collapse. I called the global, you know, the CEO at five in the morning saying our financial system's going to collapse. He thought I was nuts. And it did. And uh, I saw crude oil go to $150 a barrel, gasoline go to $4 a gallon. I mean, all these things that were not nice things. And it was driving me insane. I was walking on the razor's edge. And I had to get answers I had to get answers the this left brain guy i am a I'm a very passionate, tenacious person. when I sink my teeth in something, I don't let go. I want answers i'm if there is a force, I want to hear you I want to talk to you i want to know what your laws are I want to know the theories and the and you know i i go down and so for twelve years that's what i do i'm do 1,500 interviews. I read 400 books. I get trained in Reiki, energy healing, remote viewing, you name it, you know, I'm like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. <laughs> 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 so I pause. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's what it wasn't easy. Uh, you know, it was like this crazy compulsive quest.
0: Well, I got a sense of it from reading the book, of course, um, which is really so engaging and amusing, and and um, has this way of weaving your story through some of the deepest existential questions and and um, uh, most fundamental ideas of how the world works.
1: Uh, I tell you, you know the read the listeners need to hear this story, and I got goosebumps all over me, which one of the parables is what is a truth bump It's a goosebumps or truth bumps it's a combination, and um we can talk about the science and physics of this stuff later uh like how do you see something in the future before it happens? you know mm-hmm. what is our brain is- this is eleven days of day, as you know, is thirty six short parables that answer these questions you know, who am I, why am I here? What is time? What is death? What is matter? What is a soul? What is a thought? Um, what is matter? What are intentions? What are goosebumps? What is love, sex, and war? You know, which are really powerful. But even though it tells my story, and it's it's a conversation between me and another unnamed person uh, being, and I had no intention of writing that book. I I was writing my memoir. And I was sick of writing my memoir. I had been writing it for six to nine months. I was exhausted, always trying to do it with my head. And I had an agent, wonderful agent, Bill Gladstone. He's the agent for Eckhart Tolle and Neil Donald Walsh and all these wonderful people. And I got the publisher. And they're expecting my memoir. Well, I'm sick of writing. And I take a break. And I go to a spiritual retreat and energy session. And I and I meditate. And I run energy. And I just feel wonderful and alive. And I'm eating healthy, you know, vegan kind of food and recharging. And um, I come back and I just start writing. I I just see the words. I close my eyes or I let go, literally let go. Let go is such a profound thing. Um, And and we can talk for five minutes about that because – knowing what that means once you can do that is amazing, but I let go and I'm not in charge of my hands and I'm just writing and I don't even know what the next sentence is going to be. Absolutely no idea what the next sentence is going to be. I may know the next three words. And even as I'm typing them and writing them, I'm starting to wonder what's coming out here. And when I'm talking about sex, what is sex? You, you know, the, the the voice starts talking about crocodiles and I'm like, <laughs> Talking about crocodiles for I, I can't believe that I'm writing about sex and war and love. Like what can I say? And I got to slap myself in the face and let the mind go because something else is in charge and is doing this. And I just let it go. And I'll tell you, when these things unfold, the, the way they unfold, it's just it it blows your mind because it's I mean it needs like zero editing, just about. Um, You know, some grammar and typos and things like that. But what was written in day one is the stories, parables in day one and what is written in day two. So after 11 days, I said to my wife, she goes, what are you doing? I said, "Uh, well, I think I wrote a book. And she said, well, what's it about? I said, I don't know. I haven't read it yet. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and she tells her friends now, she goes, you know, Jonathan is the strangest man. Uh, I am. I am very unusual. And she goes, he's the strangest man. She writes a letter to an email to friends telling them to buy the book. She said he was sick of writing his memoir and he took some time off and wrote a book in 11 days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, what I find fascinating about this book is that you you've in, in our interview you've just described seeing enormous green creatures going through light tunnels and so on. <clears throat> but it was only after you wrote this book that you truly let go and believed.
1: It, that's correct. You see, I as I describe in the um preface, you know the preface and the and the um Dear Reader intro didn't exist and the title and the epilogue didn't exist. Those were added from the mental side, you might say. But what I describe in there is that I was so terrified of losing credibility, losing respect. You know, in a lot of senses, I I feel like a gay man coming out and declaring I'm gay. Mm -hmm. I'm highly credentialed, professional with respect and all that. And once I come out, I'm dead. I mean, forget that old world. So for years I was afraid, and so this book comes out and it freaks me. So it is it is my coming out, day. Mm-hmm. And, and once this book was written, that's it. I'm, hello, you know, I'm back.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I tell I have to tell the truth. I have to tell the story, and I think it's no coincidence because what everyone you know I've done. Dozens of talks and speeches and events in the last three months and what everyone I did. Let me give you an example. I did an event at in the middle of New York City on in the penthouse floor overlooking Central Park on this 20 million dollar probably apartment with executives from large financial institutions and corporations. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to say to them? And I'm and I the answer is I'm going to tell them my story. And I tell these people my story, which weaves you down a path in about an hour to two where you will accept that I am photons, energy and light, a soul and a body that, you know, we we uh, all these things, coincidences or synchronicities, metaphysical experiences aren't paranormal or weird. They're natural. I mean, on and on. And these people walk up to me and say. I totally believe what you're saying because of who you are and what you've done and how you went through the science and the physics and the research and what I call my triangulation method. um, They accepted everything that I said, which is a beautiful thing.
0: That's exactly why you are so important at this time, because you Bring together the world of mind and the world of spirit, the world of science and the world of spirit. It's like Eben Alexander brought together the world of medicine and the world of spirit. Um, Anita Morjani brought together, uh, also, you know, the, the, the unrefutable story of a patient who came back and healed herself. Um, it's this, uh, coming together, this overlapping of these strains of mind and spirit, that okay. is such an important message for our time. Jonathan, can you talk a bit about the world of light and the world of form so that we can have some kind of foundation for going ahead?
1: Absolutely. That's a great question. Thanks, Miriam. The, the world of form is what we perceive as our reality which from a physics point of view we understand is really one percent of the nature of reality and by that i mean you know our thoughts are not physical love emotions are not physical the energy in the air and water everything is energy it's not solid you know you go down in a hundred million times and still Just get to the atom level, not even the subatomic level. But the world of form is our cars and our toys and our promotions and our jobs and our clothes. And it's all the things that our mind is telling us that we need to have control, want, lust over, become attached to. And the world of form is the source of all suffering. It is everything that causes us to become angry and um, jealous and blame and so forth. But the world of form is an illusion. Um, It's real, but it's not the complete nature of reality. It is a manifestation of energy, which is all everything is, is just energy in form. And that form is malleable. You know, it's not solid. And and our thoughts, uh, well, we'll get into thoughts in our brain later. The world of light is the bigger reality. The world of light is everything is pure energy, which is photons, which is light. You know, this conversation that we're having right now is being converted into digits, ones and zeros, bits and bytes, being transmitted through frequencies and satellites and being back and forth. It's light. I mean, and your document, and your email, your photograph, and your iPhone—that's all light, baby. Okay, it's light beams. So everything exists in the world of light, and we are living in this physical, what we call physical reality, which is what I call the world of form.
0: One of the dots you didn't connect in your book—that—and I want to interject here. It took me ages to finish your book because I had to keep on stopping and thinking about what you said. You know, it's, it's not the kind of thing that you can just kind of breeze through and say, Oh, that's nice. Because it, it just addresses some of the questions that I've been asking that, that in a very original way. So thank you for that. And it's a jolly good thing that I'm interviewing now, you now, because otherwise I would have been behind in my work anyway getting back to the world of light it seems to me that the um, the light that we're talking about is the carrier of information it's it's the the consciousness the carrier of consciousness and it's um, it, it's just one one little word that you never attach to light and I wonder why
1: well that's a very good question. Um it was not conscious okay <laughs> <laughs> but what i will tell you as reflecting on that cuz we're uh, i'm growing i'm always growing we're all always growing um <clears throat> the light to me is information but information is knowledge and wisdom it is science it is all branches of what we might call theologies it has everything. It knows everything forever. <clears throat> um, one of the important things to think about is that a thought, which is all there, there is, we're getting into our brain okay, and consciousness. So let's, let's understand that our brain does not have a hard drive. There's no storage repository. None. Otherwise, you'd set off the metal detector. So your brain is nothing but millions of miles of fiber optic cables, little tubes. And your brain is sending 100 trillion electrical impulses, boom, 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 to 100 trillion cells every one billionth of a second. That's all your brain is. There's no knowledge or information that is stored on some device in your head. All of the knowledge and information resides in the space around us and within us. So consciousness, to me, is like spheres, a sphere within a sphere within a sphere. First, we are conscious of our physical selves. Then we are, the second sphere, we are conscious or aware of those around us. Then the third is our our environment, our community, our nation, the world. That's all environment. You know, these artificial terms like countries and, you know, nations, those are artificial boundaries. Energy and light knows of no such thing. And then you get into the broader, you know, realms, you know, the galaxies and so forth. So imagine seven rings. And I, I think of them as seven realms of existence. And that's a whole nother discussion. But
0: sounds like it's a whole nother book.
1: Well, it is another book. And there are many more books coming out of me. I, I, I can't get them out as fast. So I'm just like recording as all these things come through. Um, and some of the things are going to be about seven spiritual rites which are associated to our seven chakras, which are energy processing units, like the the motherboard in your computer, um, and the seven spiritual realms. And so imagine seven concentric circles and put a dot in each one and then draw a line through them. Consciousness, to me, is the growing and expanding awareness from within the first inner circle going out. And so I, um, I I sometimes over the last several years, I, I scratch my head when all these people are talking about consciousness and consciousness and things like that. And I'm like, you know, I don't it just seems to me we're already there. You know, it's like they're talking about consciousness in the future or we're going to get there someday. We're going to evolve and I I think that's like manifesting that we're never going to be there. I think we are already consciously aware of five or six of these realms. And um, it is the faulty and outdated programs, which I sometimes call to myself a flop, a faulty, limited, and outdated program. So these flops in our head, which is outdated software, blocks us from the awareness of the knowledge and information that resides around us.
0: Hmm. You know, when I was reading the book, I had this image of the movie, a scene from one of the Indiana Jones movies where he is going to the kind of repository where the chalice of Christ is being guarded by a night Templar. Uh, and he has to step out across this chasm. And it requires faith.
1: Leap of faith.
0: A leap of faith. And so he does take that first step. But then he takes a handful of sand and he throws it out and it outlines the steps ahead of him. And it's people like you who are taking that first leap of faith, and then you are throwing the sand out onto the path for others to follow?
1: What a beautiful metaphor! Thank you so much. That's that's really beautiful. I like that.
0: Ah, you're welcome. We're we're kind of um, straying into your future book, so let's pull back into the present one. Sure. Um. Coming to terms with these metaphysical experiences was a process for you, a, a deep, iterative process. It was like that television commercial testing the, the uh, cell phones. Can you hear me now? Um, and if you if you don't respond to the message, then you get another one, sometimes more painful or, or louder. Um, You had one uh, very moving experience where somebody was telling you about a message from Michael, but it was not the Archangel Michael. Tell us about that one.
1: Yes, Um, that's really amazing. Um, I had uh, this was one of these people who sort of come to me that are unexpected. I had interviewed a lady on my CNN radio show that I had called Global Evolution, And we were talking about self-help and personal improvement. And about a week after the show, she calls me up and she says, I'd like to do a reading for you. And I was, but you know, by this point in time, it's like 2000, uh, 2007 maybe. And um, there's been so many of these people that just come into my life. I'm kind of like, okay, what's she got to say? So I said, okay. And so one of the things she said, which is not in the book, was uh, she said, well, you know, when you were about 20 years old, you nearly drowned and it had something to do with your father. And did you know you were saved by Archangel Michael? <laughs> I said, I said, get in line. I've already heard that one before. <laughs> so she was just one of them. That, that's how I say when I said earlier in the show, they just happen. This, this just happens to me all the time. And so and, you know, this is before I had ever shared any of this publicly. So she says, well, there's someone on the other side who's got a message for you. They're trying to talk to you. And I said, you mean someone who's passed away? And she said, yes. And I said, well, what are they saying? And she said, well, he's saying um, I love you and he's calling you daddy. And I thought, I don't have any children who've passed away. You know, and I said that to her. I, I don't have any kids that have passed away. And she said, um, well, he's telling me he would be about 19 years old and his name is Michael. And I almost just fainted on the floor because no one knew. I mean, no one, no one besides me and my wife knew that Marianne had had our first child was a miscarriage and we were going to name him Michael. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, uh, you know, it just almost brings you to tears uh, because... What these stories reveal is a mosaic uh, and the old world mosaic of form and competition and death is the end and God doesn't exist and angels aren't real and miracles don't happen and souls can't talk to you from the other side. That's the old world mosaic, which is tearing us apart. And the new world mosaic, which is outlined in, and it is another book and it, but it's outlined in this story Of stories of past life experiences, which is amazing stories and um, communicating with souls and having visions of future events and miraculous healing with energy and, you know, on and on and on. It paints the true nature of reality. So you see, besides that being a beautiful story, it was another one of those messages that completed the mosaic.
0: Indeed. And you mentioned at the end of your book, Irvin Laszlo, um, who I, I totally adore, uh, who really coined the term Akashic Record, which is this, um, what you alluded to, this matrix of information in which we are embedded and which we can access Which seems to be what this psychic was accessing as she was reading the energy surrounding you. Because we carry our history with us. And was it Churchill who said those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it?
1: Yes. And evil will flourish when good men do nothing.
0: Ah, evil. This was another fascinating uh, thing in the book. Good versus not good versus evil.
1: Yeah, probably one of the most controversial things in the book.
0: I love controversy.
1: <laughs> let's go for it.
0: <laughs> Ooh, do we have time? Well, let's give it a shot
1: quickly. I can be short. You want me to? The basically the the one of the parables is what is not good, and it it says that there is nothing that is not good, that everything is good, that money is good, that cars are good, Republicans are good, Democrats are good. Everything is good because it adds value. But the only thing that is not good are the behaviors of individuals, which, you know, cause pain or suffering or harm to others. And it goes further to say that there is no such thing as evil. Because the whole premise of 11 Days of May and what I have come to accept and believe in every cell of my being is that I don't have a soul. I am a soul. And when I'm not in a physical body, I'm out there in space and a part of everything. My soul can't be evil because there's nothing for it to be evil about. There's no greed. There's no lust. There's no attachments. There's nothing that I could be evil about. You understand? So soul at our essence, at our core, there is no person that is evil. There are souls that are suffering and are trying to learn lessons. And God doesn't have pixie dust. When you pray for courage, stand by because you're going to get every fear thrown in your face.
0: And you you did point out that even something as painful and excruciating as breaking your neck, actually had a beneficial outcome when you look at it from a different perspective because that is what told you that you were not happy in the world you were and that you have to find a new way of making your livelihood
1: well you're you're a very uh, good reader and um a great interviewer so thank you for that yes that that nothing is evil and nothing is not good. It's over. You have to change your point of view. You see, the beginning of the book has the quote from Einstein, which was a poster hanging on my wall for 10 years. You know, I want to know God's thoughts. Everything else is a detail. I like to say now, you must first understand the macro to understand the micro. At the micro level, you perceive that there is evil and suffering at the macro level. That's the way the way you grow and evolve is through trials and tribulations. That's the way that's how we grow.
0: Indeed. Indeed. What is your hope for this book? Where where are you taking this message forward in your life?
1: Well, I have a very big hairy audacious goal. Um, I I would like I'm about to launch an Internet portal um, to create a global movement. And that movement is to help five million people by 2020 discover, believe and use their essence to do what they love and love what they do. Your essence is your combined mental and physical and spiritual being And there is no separation. This is my main point. There is no separation between your soul and your spiritual purpose and why you are here. And what you are intended to do is to discover your essence, believe it, and then have the courage to use it to fulfill your purpose. And when you do that, you will love what you do and do what you love. And you will never work a day in your life. And you will be happy, healthy, and prosperous.
0: I would have expected nothing less from you, J.D., changing the world.
1: Well, you know, the, the dots were connected when when I got a review by um, the editor at Martha Stewart Whole Living magazine, and he wrote a review, which is on the press section of my website, and he called me the CEO of spirituality. And I read the review, and I just started, tears just started rolling down my cheeks. And I immediately just went to the keyboard and started writing exactly what I was feeling. And I wrote the blog, which is on my blog section that says I'm crying and I don't know why. And and I go through explaining that I don't know why I'm crying. What is it? These are tears of joy, tears of love. Why is this man's blog making me cry? Because he defined me. He he said JD you can use all of your global transformation and experiences as a as a CEO in the world of spirituality and that was like boom it was like the download i was like you said it earlier i can be a global transformational leader using corporate best practices and technologies and infrastructure the ceo the mind to open people to the world of spirit and that is like wow That's what I got to (laughs) do.
0: If not now, then when? That's right. So, how do people connect with it? Find out more about
1: it. Well, I'll tell you what. I actually, I I have the portal website up. It's called PowerOfEssence.org. I just launched it two days ago. Um, It was something I've been building over four years. I had no idea why I was doing it. And I have all this content and articles and events and things that were from four or five years ago. I never launched it. So you can go there and you can see it now. You can sign up. Um, but you'd have to just recognize that I, I haven't finished. I, I need partners. I want everyone. Okay.
0: So this is a, uh, a request. Uh, what do you call it? A request for?
1: It's a call to action. Join me. <laughs> <laughs> call right.
0: To- a call to transformational uh,
1: read the vision, vision is
0: individuals
1: up. vision it's up there you can read the purpose i i want to create 5000 essence clubs around the world that have 50000 essence champions helping us to create 5 million entrepreneurs individuals using their essence for a social cause who are entrepreneurs so i call them an entrepreneur by 2020, I want to have five million entrepreneurs all around the world who share like values and beliefs. And there's uh, in the FAQ section, I've got the values and beliefs up there, and uh, you know, so it's it's going to grow and evolve.
0: And you also have an ebook version of your book, right? Yes.
1: It's, it, uh, it,
0: which has a, a, an additional dimension.
1: That was that was you know again divine insight. I mean, after I finished the book, I, I uh, I'm not even an ebook reader, um, but I thought, well, I need to make an ebook, and then I I was compelled. I got the insights, the feelings that I needed to make it a complete immersion experience with art and music and you know video and interactive. Well, I had no idea what that meant, and you know I basically you know I didn't have the art or the music or the interactive feature, and I would set the intention that I needed to make it interactive. And in eight hours, a man came with an interactive feature, never been in a book, and we put it in. And a couple days later, I I set my intention. I needed art, and an artist started mailing me 11 pictures. And the same thing with the music. And so we put all that together and um, discovered that we created a world's first. And so we announced that we had launched the world's first fully two-way interactive Immersion ebook and my website crashed. So many people. <laughs> 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 yeah. So it's an amazing experience, uh, the book.
0: So your website is what? JDMessenger.com?
1: Right. M E S S I N G E R. Right.
0: JDM dot R.com. And that's where they can find the link to this
1: book. They can find the link to, you know, all of them. It's in Barnes & Noble, Amazon, iTunes. You can get the ebook or the hardcover. And it's available in all bookstores, but you might have to ask them to order it.
0: And to remind our listeners, it's called 11 Days in May by J.D. Messenger. So that, unfortunately, brings us to the end of our show. And I can only hope that we will have you back, J.D.,
1: it's an absolute pl- pleasure. You're a wonderful host, and um, we just scratched the surface.
0: Indeed. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you very much. It was a, it was my honor. Goodbye. Bye-bye.
0: Next week's guest will be Patricia Aberdeen, co-author of the classic book, Megatrends. She'll be discussing her new book, Conscious Money, a very timely topic. We're going to close now with our track of the week by Gwendy Joyson from Nashville, Tennessee called When I Change My Mind Sometimes the day Mind from the album Love is Stronger by Gwendy Joyson. You can learn more about Gwendy, her music, and her Magdalene retreats that are designed to reconnect with your divine feminine, all at GwendyJoyson.com. That's G-W-E-N-D-Y-J-O-Y-S-E-N.com. You can find all the books we discussed and much more on our website at ncreview.com. I hope you'll visit And I do hope you enjoyed the show and will join us next week. So until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.